sure how I say that. I started to say she was an older lady. Maybe this is not, it'll be the third service. She goes, she won't hear me say that. Uh, <laughs> she said, you um, broke one of the cardinal rules of public speaking. I thought, man, was my pants unzipped the whole time I was up there? <laughs> but she said I didn't inter- introduce myself. So I'm not the pastor. For those of you, this is your first time. Um, please come back next week. Um, my name is Jeff Robertson, and I don't know what to tell you about myself. Uh, I'm a member of the church here. I help out. I fill in sometimes when the preacher's out of town. And so we're going to try to have a good time. And you know what? It really doesn't matter. Hey, I promise you he'd do a lot better job than me. But we're here for the Lord this morning. Amen? And so let's try to have a good service, have a good time, worship the Lord. And listen, I'm glad you're here. I know you could be a lot of places this morning, but you're here, and I'm thankful for that. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. Thank you for the wonderful things that you're doing at Temple Baptist Church. Lord, thank you for the people that are taking their time to come here and, 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 and are committed to serving you and worshiping you, Lord. And I pray that you just meet with us this morning. And Lord, I ask you to please, in spite of me, I ask you to speak to us this morning and to give us something that will encourage us from your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you can sit down, take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. May the 10th of 1782, John Corbett gets up that morning and him and his family get ready for, for, uh, to make the walk to, to church. Corbett pastored a church in Fort Girard, Pennsylvania. And in 1782, Pennsylvania was the westernmost part of the United States. That was the Wild West. That was the frontier. So there was a lot of things going on, a lot of danger involved in, in that particular area. So they head out towards church, and John realizes that, he, that his Bible that he thought was in some of his wife's stuff wasn't there. And I, I'm not sure the details of the story exactly, but nonetheless, he had to go back home and get his Bible. So he sent his family on. He said, I'll catch up to you. Goes back, gets his Bible, starts to make his walk and catch up to his family. As he's walking, he's kind of reading the scripture and doing a little study and preparing himself for the service that morning. And unbeknownst to him, there was a, an ambush of, of Indians that when he came through, massacred his family. Killed his wife, his three children, scalped his two older daughters, and they lived just a horrible scene. Now, from the screams and the noise, the, the people at the fort came to investigate, but they, they weren't able to get there in time. Uh, it had already happened, and they were gone. And when John Corbley rounds the corner, he sees this massacre of his family. His wife and three children lay there dead and bleeding. His two daughters clinging to life. Now you know, Brother Carter last Wednesday night preached on adultery. If, if a person decides that they're going to entangle themselves in an adulterous affair, they understand that there's some risk involved. You could lose your family, you could lose your home, you could lose, you know, your children. You know, things could go, you know, you understand that going in. If I wake up Monday morning and I decide that, that I'm going to rob a bank, and I go buy me a ski mask and get me a gun, a person who does that knows going in, why well, I could be killed. If I'm caught, I could go to prison. Uh, there's, some, there's some consequences to those decisions, and they're expected. A, a, a businessman. He invests his money in the, in, into some type of business or makes an investment on the stock market. It's understood you could lose your investment. You could lose your money. Those are calculated risks going into this venture 
you know the, the, what could happen. What about serving the Lord? Now, if you watch the most popular television preacher of our day today and New York Times bestseller, Pastor Carter's favorite preacher, I'm only kidding, he'll tell you, if you'll just come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. That hadn't worked out for me. I don't know about you. It hadn't always gone that way for me. I've struggled with that. I've had a hard time with that. But you know what? If you look at the Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, verse 8, he said, Stand fast. Fight the fight as a good soldier. So here's two examples that Paul gives us. One's a wrestling match. If you're from Alabama, you know what wrestling is. The other is a battle. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is this not all touchdowns and cheerleaders? If you look at church history, well, let's just start with the disciples. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was filleted alive. John was boiled in oil. James was, was thrown off of a building and then stoned to death. Stephen was stoned. All the disciples, every one of them died a martyr's death. It didn't work out too good for them, did it? It wasn't all mansions and Cadillacs for those guys, was it? So when I look at this situation, and I look at my situation, and I look at difficult times that I face, man, I need some help. I'm not sure where to go. Turn to Acts chapter 3. Let's look at this. Let's look at some scripture real quick. We're going to make some, we're going to ask a question here and maybe give a few answers and try to see if we can't get some help with this situation, these difficult times that we face. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, and being the ninth hour, and a certain lame man from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gates of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him, and John said, Look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know the story. The man rises up. He leaps for joy. He's happy and everything's great. Then Peter and John, or Peter preaches a sermon. Look at verse, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. So, let me see if I got this right. Let's review Peter just a little bit, okay? So that we understand where we're at background-wise. Here's Peter. He's a disciple of Jesus. Follows Jesus all through his earthly ministry. Sees every miracle Jesus ever performs. Sees him walk on water. Raise Lazarus from the dead. He's there through all of it. He denies Jesus. Backslides. Terrible situation. 
Bible talks about how he wept bitterly. Well, Jesus comes to him after he raises from the dead at the Sea of Galilee, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Ask him three times, do you love me? Finally, they have a little revival meeting there on the bank. Peter rededicates his life. He's back in the fold, going forward for God. How many of you, I mean, we can all raise our hand. We've been through those things. We get saved. We trust the Lord. We start going to church. Everything's going great. Maybe you backslide. Maybe you fall out of church for a year or so. Then you come back. You plug back in. And, man, you're excited about being back in church. And God's doing things in your life. And everything's going great. But look at Peter and John. They're preaching. They heal a guy that's lame. 5,000 people get saved. Now, that was just the men, you know, that, I'm sure there's more than that. Uh, we were talking about in the earlier service, man, I remember Easter Sunday we had 100 people saved, I think it was. That blew my mind. 100 people walked these aisles and put their trust in Christ in six services. That's mind-boggling to me. A few weeks ago or a couple months ago, we had 40 people saved on, during the Sunday services in here. That's a, that, that is just amazing to me. 5,000. Do you hear me? One, sun, one service, one preaching service, Peter has an altar called 5,000. I don't know how exactly how it went, but 5,000 people got saved. That's a big service. Isn't that great? Now, I, I called my brother, and I asked him. I was asking him some questions. My brother pastors a church in Florida. And I said, man, if you were really wanting some encouragement, what's something you'd want to hear Sunday morning if you were going to be sitting there? He said, if I wanted some encouragement, uh, a big love offering and two weeks off would be a big encouragement to me. <laughs> well, that's probably... What Peter and John were, you know, they thought, man, we had this great revival meeting. All these people got saved. We're probably going to get some kind of accolades for this. What do they get? Thrown in jail. So when I look at their situation, and I look at Peter and John, and I look at all the good things that they're doing, and the great success that they're having, and the results that they have, you know, so often we think if there's some results, then that's got to make everything okay. We must be doing everything right. And, you know, let's give Jesus a praise clap and jam for the lamb. Everything's great. They put him in jail. So if that happens to them, what can I expect? I think it's a pretty simple answer. You can expect adversity. You can expect opposition. You can expect hardship. You can expect persecution. These things are coming. It's no secret. It's no secret that we're facing difficult times. Now, to a different degree, because perception is all that matters to that person. Your perception, your burden is heavy to you. Do you understand? I may look at what you're going through and compare it to some of the things that I've been going through and say, man, that is nothing. And then turn right around and there's somebody else that could say, man, what you're going through, I've lost my mother in the last three months. Not me, but I'm saying, you know, I've lost family members. I've got sick children. My husband left me. You know, there's people that have much worse stories than I could ever possibly conjure up. So how do we get through this adversity? How do we possibly figure out a way to maneuver through this? And that's my question to you this morning. How do we fortify ourselves against certain adversity? There's no, there's no doubt that it's coming. We don't have to wonder about whether or not we're going to face difficult times. We don't have to wonder about if we're going to face persecution and, and, and disappointment in our lives. It is coming. 
So the question comes, how do I prepare myself for this adversity that's coming? Well, I think we take a look here at, at Peter's life. If we had time to read this scripture all through it, verse 12, verse 12 through 26 in chapter 3, you'd see there that Peter preaches a different style, maybe. He's got a different approach to things than what he had during the disciple days. You see, when he was following Jesus in his ministry, it was all about, hey, what can this Messiah do for me? How can we be vindicated against these Romans and we can finally have our rightful place as God's chosen people and the nation of Israel and we can finally get these people off our backs and we'll have a Messiah sitting on the throne. What can he can do for us? Look, look at where we'll be then. Now it's, he's just preaching Jesus. So I think the first answer to the question, how do we fortify ourselves against certain adversity, is to develop scriptural perspective. You see, Peter didn't look at things the same way. He was interested in where he was going to be in this kingdom back here. Over here, he's interested in telling the story about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a different approach. Now, I understand that we are such a me-oriented society, us. I mean, is there anywhere else in the world besides the United States in 2013? Has anything ever occurred prior to us? This is it right here, right? That's how we're conditioned to think by society. It's all about us. It's all about now. Well, this is an eternal book. You understand that, right? And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and the creation and all the things that occurred throughout that time period. This is a book about kings and kingdoms. It's not about, you know, sitcoms and cell phones. Right? There's a lot going on here. We have such a limited perspective of this thing. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For that's how thou... For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are created. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Now you see the purpose of this whole thing. The reason that we go through adversity, the reason that we go through this difficult situation that we find ourselves in on a daily basis is so that we can bring honor and glory to Him. And you see, when I can get the perspective off of me, and I can stop looking at things at such a temporal view, and I can see the big picture of this thing, and I can see that it's an eternal thing, it's much bigger than just me, well, now I can face this adversity a little bit better got to change your perspective you've got to look at it from a more scriptural standpoint the book of second corinthians it talks about how men view things temporally but we as christians should view them eternally i talked about this in the earlier service if i have to go through a difficult time and i have to go through some tragedy in my life to get the opportunity to be a testimony 
to preach to someone over here that had I not gone through these things, I would have never got to speak to this person and they get saved. It's worth it. It's worth every bit of it. But we're so, and I say we because I'm the same way. We're so focused on what we're going through right now. We fail to realize there's a much bigger picture. There's a lot more going on than just us. And it's not about just us right here. It's about Him. It's about bringing honor and glory to a Savior. It's about bringing praise and glory to a Creator. Not about me and us and my children and my future grandchildren and my mom and dad. There's more going on than just the Robertson family. So when we change our perspective and we look at it from a more scriptural view, the way Peter did, Peter was all about kingdoms and the, the Messiah and what can he do for us. And look what he's going to, he's going to whip those Romans and we're going, now it's about, what a, look at this Savior. He said, Israel, you listen to me, it's about this Savior. It's about the guy that you nailed to the cross. He's the reason that we do this. He changes his perspective. Now being in prison, being in jail, standing there before the Sanhedrin, is not a big issue for him. He's ready to face this adversity. He's ready to face this difficult time because he sees it through a different set of eyes than he did when Jesus went before the Sanhedrin. Because you remember, what did he do then? Peter denied Christ. He followed afar off. He was afraid. Why is that? Because he didn't view things then the way he's viewing them now. So we must change our perspective. The second thing, how do we fortify ourselves against adversity? If you look at verse 8, not only did Peter change his, have a more scriptural perspective, but in verse 8 it says, Then Peter, let's, let's go back to verse 5. It says, And it came to pass that on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and the scribes and Ananias and the high priests and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together and they had set them in the midst they asked by what power or by what name have you done this then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them the next thing that we need to do to fortify ourselves against adversity is learn to walk and learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit learn to walk in the Spirit You see, when Peter, with Jesus, went before the Sanhedrin, when Jesus went before the Sanhedrin, when he goes before them, fixing to face crucifixion, Peter's standing way back over there. He's scared. He says, man, I'm worried about getting grouped up with Jesus because they view him as a terrorist and an insurrectionist, and I know what they're fixing to do to him, and I don't really want to get hooked up in that. I'm staying back here, and before it's over with, Peter's denying Christ. Now... Peter's standing before them himself, and the difference is, now Peter has the Holy Spirit inside of him. He's more prepared to face this adversity. Now let me say this, February the 1st, 1981, in Little Rock, Arkansas, in Super Church, my brother was preaching, I got saved. I remember the uh, crazy details about it. Walked the aisle, a guy named Donald Dye takes me into a Sunday school class. It was D. Reynolds Sunday school class. I remember that the walls were brown. 
and I put my trust in Christ, got saved. And let me tell you what else that day. I got all, every bit of the Holy Spirit that I'm ever going to get that day. Never going to get any more than I got that day. But here's the difference. It's not about how much of the Holy Spirit I have. It's about how much of myself I give Him. Have you seen those bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot? Don't you think you'll probably ought to move out of the driver's seat and maybe let God do the driving? Now you look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, And be not drunk with wine, where is an, ex- where is an excess. Now, let me, let me give you an explanation like this. If you see a guy who's drinking and out in public, he's drunk and he's stumbling around and acting crazy and getting in fights, what's controlling this guy? The alcohol. So, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians here uses that as an illustration. He said, be not drunk with wine, where is in excess? Because what's controlling this drunk guy? The alcohol. He says, but be ye filled with the Spirit. The filling is not a volume issue here. It's a control issue. Who's controlling you? Who's running the show in your life? Who's driving the car in your life? Are you the pilot? Or have you gotten out of the seat and relinquished the instruments to the Holy Spirit? Because that's how we face adversity. That's how we can face difficult times and know the purpose of these. So how do we get this filling of the Holy Spirit? Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is how you get the Holy Spirit right here. This book. This is how you allow Him. This is how you get the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's through the Scripture. Listen to me. It's not some experience. It's not some big emotional upheaval. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you get in this book right here. What did that verse say? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The more of this you have in your life, the more opportunity the Holy Spirit has to bring this to you. Let me give you an example, okay? Last week, preacher preaches about adultery, Wednesday night. He talks about how the whorish woman flattereth with her words, okay? So, now here I am, I've gotten saved, I'm in church, I have a certain amount of virtue that came along with my faith because when I got saved, I became a new creature, and I understand this is wrong. But now... I start putting some knowledge with that. I start to get in this book and I start to study the Word of God. And I realize that the whorish woman, Proverbs, tells us flattered for their words. I go to work and some woman inappropriately compliments my tie. Bells start going off in my head. I start remembering that verse that I read, that sermon that I heard the preacher preach. And I become uncomfortable with this situation and I exit stage left. What did I just avoid there? Probably an adulterous situation, quite possibly. Why? Because I allowed the Holy Spirit to have control. How did he control me? Scripture. It, it wasn't a vision. It wasn't some, some secret revelation that only I knew about. This is how God speaks to us through his word. 
You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You want the Spirit to control you. You get in this book. You fill your life with this book. Now he has an avenue in which he can control you. You face adversity in your life. You face difficult situations in your life. You want the Holy Spirit to take over. You learn to walk in the Spirit so that you can face this adversity in the way that God would want you to face it. You get in this book. You get in this Bible and you saturate yourself with it. And what you do, you give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to speak to you. You have an understanding about the Scripture now that He can use to help you through difficult situations. But that's not what we want. We want touchdowns and cheerleaders. We want something to appear to us on a big screen that's specifically for us. It's right here. Your filling of the Holy Spirit comes through this scripture. The more opportunity he has to use his word, the more filling, the more control he has over you. So we face difficult times. How do we fortify ourselves against certain adversity? First of all, we looked at changing our perspective. Having a more scriptural perspective of how, why these things are happening in our life. You know, we have a tendency to just look at our world and what we're going through in this small situation right here, and we forget about the eternal ramifications of what we're going through and how God can use these things in our life. A sick child here, uh, a, a death in the family over here. We go through these real tragic, difficult times. And when we change our perspective on how God can use those things in our life, I can face it, this adversity a lot better. When I relinquish control of myself and I give up the reins and I learn to walk in the Spirit, I can better face this adversity that I'm up against. And as we ask this question, how do we fortify ourselves against adversity? I think the next answer comes in chapter 4 as well. In verse 9, it says, if, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught, of you builder which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1988, I'm a junior in high school, and I remember, I don't know, sometime first part of August, I, I live in Fort Worth, Texas at the time, and it's like 350 degrees outside, and it's the first day of two-a-days, <clears throat> football practice. And it's 6 o'clock, well, practice started at 6 o'clock, you had to be dressed out and on the field and in warm-up formation or line or whatever at 6 o'clock, so that means you got you to get there at 5.15, 5.30 to get ready. And we're topping this, you had to walk up this little hill and come to the field, to, to get to the field house, and then the practice field was on down below the field house, and I could see this sign, this light up there that was, wasn't normally there. So as we walk up this hill, I see this sign, the coach has gotten this marquee sign, and it says, 1988 State Champions. I looked at that sign, I thought, man, that would be something else, wouldn't it, if we could win the state championship. And our team began to buy into this, this philosophy, this, this goal, this, this thing that we were working towards. And 
every time we ran away, every time I heard that long whistle, you know that long whistle, if you guys have ever played football, played sports, that long whistle, it means you got to get on the line. Every time we started running those wind sprints, I think about that sign. We used to do up-downs. I don't know if you know what those are. You stand in one spot and pick your feet up and down real fast. Coach pulls a whistle. You've got to hit the ground and jump back up fast as you can. Now, if you do that one time, it's not a big deal. But you do it 78 times, it gets kind of hard. And I think our coach would like, he, he, was, he loved it. He was a Lombardi fan, and Lombardi was a big up-down guy. So he loved those up-downs. But every time I'd hit the ground and jump back up, I'd think about that sign. I think about what it'd be like to slide that state championship ring on my hand or go to the mall with that patch on the back of my letter jacket that said state champs. Every time I did a squat in the weight room, I thought about that sign. Every time I, I missed something that other kids were able to do because I was at practice or I was at a workout or I couldn't go to, the, to my buddy's house to go swim and I had to go to football practice, I think about that sign. Well, we went 13-0. And won the state championship 41 to nothing. And I remember when we were walking out on, the, out on the field after the game was over with, we were the state champions. I thought about that sign. I thought, man, all that stuff that we did, it worked out. It was worth it. Everything that we went through, all of those, the, the, the times that we threw up. I, I remember drinking water, and we didn't have some of the cool stuff they have today. We'd take a plastic tumbler cup and dip it down in a cooler of water, and there'd be ants and dirt in it, and... He, he didn't care. I mean, I'm trying not to have a heat stroke here. I don't care about a few ants. And I thought about all of that stuff later as I reflected back on it. I thought, man, I went through all of that stuff, and here we are, the sign. We asked the question, how do we fortify ourselves against certain adversity? And I think the third answer is in those verses that we just read. Live for the highest possible practical purpose. What do I mean by that? As a junior in high school, all I could think about was that sign. Why do we do what we're doing? Because neither is there by any other name salvation. We carry the greatest story. We've been entrusted with the most crucial task that could possibly... God didn't send the angels. Remember that. He didn't send the angels to tell the lost and dying world about him. He gave that job to us. So when you begin to face these difficult times, if you begin to face difficult situations, if I've got to go through these hard times, I want it to be for a good reason. And that good reason is very simply this. We have a Savior who died for us, paid our sin debt. We have a home secured in heaven someday, and it is my duty, and it is my job to face this adversity as a good soldier and share my testimony and tell other people about what Jesus has done for me. We come to church every day, every Sunday, Ephesians says that we come to work so that come to church so that we can be equipped for the work of the ministry. First Corinthians tells us that we have been reconciled back to God and we've been given the duty of the job of reconciliation. Our job is to bring people to Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we come to church. So that we can be equipped to take what we know out there and tell people what Jesus has done for us. 
We go through difficult times. We face trials. We face hard times so that we can be better equipped to take that story to a lost and dying world. And if I can understand this, when I face adversity, when I face difficult times, I can deal with those better because I know what my job is to tell people about Jesus and what he's done for me. Recently, I was at an event with some friends of mine. And it's one of those situations where some other people knew some people and they, they went to church here and said something kind of negative about the guy. And my buddy that was with me, who hasn't been saved a long time, has been in church a long time, and he, he's a really a different guy than what I used to know. He looks dead at this guy and he says, you know what though? He said, here's the thing. You're going to stand before God for you someday. And he said, you know, God loves you, and he died for you, and he'll save you. And I, I'm about to fall back, because I just can't believe that this guy's hitting this dude right between the eyes so hard like this. Which, it really wasn't, but for him, it was a baseball bat. And it dawned on me. God's changed him. And he's excited about the change in his life. And you talk about him... About, talk about a man who's faced adversities and had hard times. The particular guy that I'm talking about, if there's anybody that has a reason to be mad and bitter, this guy does. But he's not. He loves the Lord. He shares his testimony. He tells people about what God has done for him. Man, there's tragedy in this church. There's a lot of things. You put this many people in three different services, this many people together, there's a lot of tragedy. There's a lot of heartache. Man, there's death in families. There's sick children. There's sick parents. There's There's wayward family members, broken hearts all over the place. But if I can face these difficult times and know that the reason I'm doing that is because Jesus died on the cross for me. He paid my sin debt. What about that sign? Coach, put that whistle and I hit that line. I remembered I'm doing this because of that sign. We won the state championship. This is bigger than a state championship. But you see, when we face adversity, we face difficult times, we face hard times. We don't, we don't keep in mind that we have a Savior who died for us. We don't have a scriptural perspective. We're not looking at it from an eternal standpoint. We're looking at it from that temporal standpoint. We relinquish control of ourselves. We take back over from the Holy Spirit. And then we don't remember the great things that he's done for us. Now in closing, chapter 19, verse 19 in chapter 4, the fourth answer to this, and, I, and I'll keep it very brief, is simply this. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Peter said to these guys, he said, look, you're telling us not to preach in the name of Jesus. And God tells us to preach in the name of Jesus. So you're going to have to be the judge of whether God's told us that or not, or whether we should obey you or obey God. But it really doesn't matter what you think because we're going to preach Jesus. We're going to tell about the things that we've seen and the things that we've heard. This story kind of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember, they were going to be thrown into this fiery furnace if they didn't bow down before this image of the king. And the music plays, the entire city drops down and begins to worship him. 
They don't bow. They stand before that king and they told him, they said, we don't even have to think about it. We're not bowing to you because our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not bowing to you. I think about that story. And I look at what Peter and John told these guys. If we're going to fortify ourselves against certain adversity, the last thing we must do is be characterized by boldness. You know what, guys? Sometimes there comes a point in adversity and difficult situations. You just have to be tough. You say, you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I probably don't. There's people in here that are going through a lot of, but you know what? I'm going to tell you this. Brother Johnny and I were just talking about several examples of people in our church that we know are going through legitimate, devastating heartache. And you know what? They're always happy. They're always upbeat. They're always positive. You never see them moping. We've got to be bold to stand up and say, man, I'm going through difficult times, but I know it's for a bigger purpose. I'm going through difficult times, but the Holy Spirit's in control, and I'm going to get through this. I'm going through difficult times, but I understand that this is a lot bigger than just me. You've got to have the boldness that Peter and John had right there where they said, you know what, I know you don't want us to do this, and and I know exactly what happened to Jesus. I know you hung him on the cross, and he died at the hands of the very people that I'm standing before today. But you know what? we got to te- we got to preach what we know and what we've seen, what we've heard. We can't back up. So you go ahead and do what you got to do, and we're going to do what we got to do. We'll see how this works out. Boldness. Sometimes you just got to got to muster it up somehow. And I think the thing that helps us to be able to do that more than anything else. Well, I'm reminded of this story about this little boy, and I'll close with this. I got to tell it quick. I'm already out of time. This little boy was, uh, this king had no children, had nobody to leave his throne to. So he decides he's going to adopt someone, and he goes out through the kingdom and finds this little boy playing on the side of the road at at an orphanage. Little dirty little boy, tattered clothes, little Kool-Aid mustache. He asks this little boy, he says, hey, son, do you live here at this orphanage? He said, yes, sir. He said, would you like to come home with me and be my son? Sure, that'd be great. Beats this. So when he gets back to the palace, he realizes what he has gotten himself into here. He's now the prince. And every day he comes down to breakfast and his personal butler, his manservant, notices that he's been crying. So one day the man asked him, he said, son, I notice every day when you come down you're crying. Is there a problem? Is there something that you're unhappy? He said, no. He said, you'll just have to watch and see for yourself. The next day he the butler leaves the door cracked, he looks through, little boy gets up and he goes over to his dresser drawer and he pulls out those little rags, those little tattered clothes he was wearing when the king found him. And he put those clothes on and he stood in front of the mirror. He looked at him, he took the clothes off, put them back in his drawer, put his royal robes on and went downstairs. Butler asked him, he said, I don't, I don't understand that, why do you do that? He said, because I just want to remember what the king has done for me. You want to muster up some boldness to face a difficult time. Just remember what the king's done for you. Remember where we would be headed. Where would we, what would we be facing? How difficult would the times be? 
if we didn't have a Savior to help us bear these burdens? Every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, I know that adversity is real. Difficult times are real. Trust me, I, I personally have seen some difficult times. Much, many of them self-induced, but difficult times nonetheless. And, and I, I know hard times. I've lost family members. I've seen some sickness in my family. But I think we can all agree that adversity is coming. It's part of the war that we're entangled in. It's part of the wrestling match that we find ourselves involved in, in this fight against the devil. So I don't know about you, but I'd like to finish well. I've made some mistakes. I've made some difficult decisions and drawn some difficult routes. But I would like to finish well. So I want to prepare myself to face this adversity. How many of you say, raise your hand by way of, say, I've got some difficult times. I've got some, some genuine adversity in my life. Some things that I'm facing that I need prayer about. I know I can raise my hand. I know that, that in some situation, we all have adversity that we're dealing with. And like I said earlier, everybody's burden is, is difficult for them. So I can say to you this morning, if you'll meet God at this altar, He'll meet you. You ask Him to begin to help you to change your perspective of things. You relinquish control of your life over to the Holy Spirit. You begin to plug into the bigger purpose and the bigger reason for this. That, that, that The reason that we do these things is because we have a Savior who died and paid our sin debt. And then you decide that I'm going to muster up the boldness to face this thing every day. I promise you... God will meet you right here, and he will help you with your situation. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with these people that raise their hand. The adversity and the difficult times that we face, Lord, I pray that you would give us the boldness. I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to view these things the way you would want us to view them. Lord, help us to remember there's a purpose for why we face these things. Lord, I pray that you bless this church, bless these people that are here. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open. You can come here and pray, and I promise you, God will meet you here. Let's stand together.
Sing it out together now. Coming home, coming home, never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of one thing that I'm excited about is that I go to a church that I really do believe is plugged into the purpose.
a more scriptural perspective of what's going on. Not only do we need a more scriptural perspective to fortify ourselves against certain adversity, but I think the second thing that we could do this morning to fortify ourselves against certain adversity is to learn to walk in the Spirit. I want you to take a look at something. In chapter 4 here, I want to look at a comparison or a contrast between two situations in Peter's life. You remember when they go, when Jesus goes before the Sanhedrin? He goes into a trial. They've got Jesus up there. What does Peter do? He ducks. Follows afar off. He's not with him. He, he's kind of watching him, and he's easing up there. Man, he's nervous, and you know why? He knows what kind of power these guys in this Sanhedrin have got. These guys are rough dudes. They can, they can wreck your world. And so he's falling afar off because, I mean, he's just scared. And that's understandable. So what happened to Jesus? And Peter's thinking in his mind, well, they're treating Jesus like an insurrectionist. They're treating Jesus like a terrorist. And they're going to want to get everybody else who is with him. I'm staying back here. Now, let's look at chapter 4. Here he is. Verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked him, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now, this is a serious group of guys that Peter's sitting in front of. They said, how did you pull this off? What kind of trickery did you use to heal this guy? And I want you to look at what Peter says, what, the, what it says there in verse 8. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me explain something to you this morning. If, just in case, let me finish up the contrast between Peter with Jesus and Peter now. You see, Jesus has ascended and he sent the Comforter. Now Peter has the Holy Ghost dwelling in him. And he can approach these things with a helper, with a Comforter. He wasn't with Jesus. Jesus was standing in front of the Sanhedrin in that trial. He was standing out here. Now he's standing before that Sanhedrin himself, Sanhedrin himself, but he has the Holy Spirit inside him. You heard me mention when I first got up, I guess I had that on my mind because I wanted to say this. February the 1st, 1981, Little Rock, Arkansas, Fairview Baptist Church, I got saved. I remember it like it was yesterday. My brother was preaching. I'll go down front. They take me in a Sunday school class. It was D. Reynolds Sunday school class, and a guy named Donald Dodd dealt with me. How's that for detail? I remember it. The walls in the classroom are brown. And I got saved that day. There's no question in my mind. I put my trust in Christ to save me. And guess what else I got that day? I got all of the Holy Spirit that I'm ever going to get. Right then. That day. Every bit of it. Because the Bible says that he that has not spirit hath not lied. There's not different amounts of the Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit, and at salvation, he indwells you. So, 
What's the difference then? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. We're all very familiar with the verse. It says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. For years I struggled with this. I had a hard time with this. I really dealt with it. I would come down to the altar and I, I thought if I can squinch up and pray really hard, then I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know I have the Holy Spirit in me. I know He's indwelling in me. But I want to be filled because the Bible says we're supposed to be filled. So I must not be praying hard enough. I must not be doing something right. Because that's not a suggestion. It's a commandment to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Look at the first half of that verse. It says, and be not drunk with wine where it is excess. Let me ask you this. A person who is using alcohol, what's controlling their decisions? That's right. If a guy's drunk, he's probably not going to conduct himself like he would when he's not drunk. He's going to drive different. He's going to speak different. He's going to act different. He's going to conduct himself in a different way because that alcohol is what? Controlling him. So in this verse when it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not a level. That's not an amount. That's a control. And the question is, who's controlling you this morning. I love those bumper stickers. It's like, God, it's my co-pilot. God, probably I'll be the pilot, don't you think? I'd say that's a good idea. Hey, you, that's the problem. You need to get out of the driver's seat. And you need to relinquish control to the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 6, it tells us that we should yield our instruments as members of righteousness. So I ask you this morning, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? When you face these difficult situations, these certain adversities, are you feel Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 gives us an, a synonymous passage that goes with Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Because if you go on to read it, it says, in, in, in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. The last half of Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says the same thing. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. But the first part of that verse says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want the filling of the Holy Spirit? It's right here. It's in this book. You see, last week preacher taught us about a whorish woman and how she flatters with her lips. Now when a first person first gets saved, the Bible says that we're a new creature. What makes us a new creature? That indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what changed me. It's not just about having a new address when I die. The Holy Spirit moves in me and that changes me. Now all of a sudden I view things different than I used to. Things that didn't used to be no big deal to me. Now they're wrong. But that's not enough. That's virtue. You have to add to that virtue some knowledge. You get in this scripture and you begin to work these things out. You begin to add to your virtue some knowledge. Remember preacher said that that, that horse woman flattereth with her words. When you go to work and some woman inappropriately compliments your tie, now the Holy Spirit has some ammunition in your spiritual gun to say, hey, hey, you remember what it said in Proverbs? Remember what the preacher talked about last week? Now the Spirit has the opportunity to control because of the Scripture. It's the Scripture. This is how God speaks to us. Okay, not a 900-foot Jesus. You guys may not even remember that. 
This is how God speaks to us through his word. The more scripture you have, the more filled you are. The more you fill your life with this scripture, the more filled with the Holy Ghost you'll be. The more you spend time in this word, the more opportunity he has to take what you've learned, to take what you've put in, and control you. And that's what filled is all about. It's about control. Who's driving? So, if you want to know how to fortify yourself against adversity, make sure that God's driving. Make sure that the Holy Spirit's in control. When you face these difficult situations, when you change your perspective on it, you begin to look at it from a scriptural perspective and say, okay, this is not all about me. It's about praising God. It's about uplifting a holy Savior. If I'm going through a difficult time and it brings God glory, then so be it. I'll go through it. Then when you begin to have some Holy Spirit filling, you begin to have some assistance with that difficult time. That's how you can face these adversities. A third answer to this question, how do we fortify ourselves against certain adversity? I think we find in verses 9 through 12. Verse 9 says, this is Peter's response. His filled with the Holy Ghost response. He says, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it made known unto you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified and whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is, the salva- neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1988, I'm a <clears throat> junior in high school. I remember the very first day of two-a-days. I played high school football in Texas, a big deal. I'll give you an example. Coleman just built, what, a $2 million facility? Allen High School just built a $56 million facility. High school. It's crazy in Texas. We're walking up this hill to go to the practice field, to, go, to get to the field house. You just have to kind of see what I'm talking about. As we, we're coming up this hill where you have to walk up to, I can see this bright light. It was kind of glowing because it was before daylight. Practice started at 6 o'clock and then we had practice at 6 and 6. So I'm coming up and I can see this light. And I know that that's not normal. That's not normally there. Very first day of two a day. Come walking up this hill. And there's one of those marquee signs our coaches put out front of it. It says, 1988 state champs. This first day of practice, first day of two-a-days. And I began to think about that sign. I began to think about what it would be like to slide a state championship football ring on my hand, to be able to wear that state championship patch on the back of my letter jacket. How come guys don't wear letter jackets anymore? That's kind of weird, isn't it? Sissies. I guess Justin Bieber doesn't wear a letter jacket. But as we began to practice every sprint that I ran, I thought about that sign. Now, an up-down is where you stand in place and you pick your feet up and down real fast and the coach blows a whistle. you got to hit the ground and jump back up. Now, if you do that one time, that's not a big deal. But if you do it 78 times in a row, it gets a little hard. Every time I do one of those up-downs, I think about that sign. Every time I'd get my bell rung, I'd think about that sign. Every time I'd do a squat in the weight room, I'd think about that sign. All I could think about was that sign, 1988. State champions. Man, that would be something else. Wind sprints in 160 degree heat in Texas. Sign. 
We went 13-0 that year, won the state championship. And I remember when we went out onto the field as the, the clock ticked down, we won the state championship 41 to nothing. We went out on the field, and I remember thinking about, huh, about that sign, man. He was right. It was never about just getting together and hanging out and playing high school football. There was a purpose. There was a reason that we showed up there because we believed that we had a real shot at winning this state championship. Let me tell you something. This is so much bigger than a high school state championship. Peter says, there is no other name. There's no other reason to exist. There's no other reason for me to go forward. If you want to kill me, if you want to do to me what you did to him, it doesn't make any difference to me. But he said, let me make sure you understand that the guy that you put on that tree is the very one that we find salvation in. So my third answer to you this morning about how do we fortify ourselves against certain adversity? Well, live for the highest possible practical purpose. Do you understand what I mean there? We're living for a big reason. If I know that my difficult time and the adversity that I face may in turn help someone to come to Christ, now it's, now it's worth it. Now I can handle it a little better than if I think it's just random. Amen? So how do we face this adversity? Remember what we're doing it for. Every time I hit that ground, jump back up, I think about that sign. Coach would blow that whistle, we'd run another sprint, I'd think about that sign. When you think things are difficult in your life and you think you're going through tragedy, maybe you've lost, maybe you, I keep saying you think, maybe you, uh, check that, you really are going through difficult times. You really are having tragedy in your life. You've lost loved ones. Maybe a relationship didn't work out. Maybe you have a sick child. These are not these are not you think you're going through adversity. I'm using the wrong terminology. You really are going through adversity. You really are facing difficult times. There's no question about it. This room's full of heartaches. But I can face those heartaches if I know that there is a higher practical purpose for the reason that I'm going through this. I said I wasn't going to talk about this this morning because I, I, I want to let it go and move on, but, but I have to. I can't speak without talking about this. If you've heard my testimony, I've been through some difficult things. Spent 67 months in federal prison. Was addicted to methamphetamines. Because of that, I have opportunity to speak to people and be in front of people that I would not have had if I hadn't have gone through that. A few weeks ago, I went to Jasper, spoke at a recovery meeting, I heard tablets and hang-ups. And trust me, it was not me because it was one of the larger eggs I've ever laid. Okay? But I shared the gospel with these people. This 18-year-old girl trusted Christ and got saved. And I called my brother on the way home. I said, you know what? I said, it's hard to get your mind wrapped around this because we're such temporal people. But I missed a lot of my children growing up. I missed a lot of time with my family. But you know what? If I got a chance to speak to that young girl and she got saved and I'll see her in heaven someday, 
what difference does it make? I mean, none of this matters. This is not a, you know, because it's all temporal. The things that we go through now, it all ends. Only the things that are eternal really matter. So you've got to find a practical purpose that you can go forward through these difficult times. I want to look at the last thing in closing. The last thing that we've got to do when we face these difficult times. Verse 20 of Acts chapter 4. Let's look at verse 19. It says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them. Now, they've just told them. They're not real sure what to do. Man, we just massacred this guy Jesus a couple of months ago and hung him on a cross. We really don't need another scene like that. I got yeah, I kind of kind of feel that's how this is going. These people, we, we could be losing control of this. We do that again. We make another martyr here, and this thing could get crazy. So what they're trying to do is they're just trying to squelch Peter and John a little bit. Hey, guys, could y'all hold it down? Could y'all just look? You can you can still have your services, you can do, but you can't preach in this guy Jesus' name. You, you just can't do that. You got to stop that. So here's their response. Verse 19. And Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. He said, look, if, if you think we should obey you more than God, you be the judge of that. That's up to you. But he says in verse 20, he says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I can't not tell you. I can't not say. The things that God has done for me. That's what Peter said. He said, we can't help but speak of these things. And the last answer to this question, how do we fortify ourselves against certain adversities, is to be characterized by boldness. I've got to get some confidence and some boldness mustered up. That can only come from God to face this adversity that I face. Hey, there's some tough, tough stories in this room. And in the service to follow, in the service to follow. You put this many people together, you're going to have some heartaches. You're going to have some difficult situations. You've got to muster up the boldness to face this adversity. I can't help but think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were told to worship when they heard the music. These guys refuse to worship. The entire place bows down. The entire city bows down and starts worshiping this image of the king. These three guys are standing there like statues. Man, I've always thought, what some bad dudes, right? Then they stand before this king. And they tell him, hey, king, you know what? We don't even have to think about our answer. They said, we're not careful in answering this. He, they said, we don't have to think about our answer, because here's how it is. God's going to deliver us from you. Now, these guys weren't facing a flat tire. They, weren't, they didn't walk outside, and their transmission was out of their car, okay? Their, their boyfriend didn't break up with them. These guys are facing to get thrown into the furnace. You know what he said? They said, you know what? Our God will deliver us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow to you. If you throw us in that furnace and we cook like a couple of, like three hot dogs, we're still not worshiping you. Do you understand that? We're not giving up. We're not giving in. We're not quitting. We won't go back. If you want to throw us in that furnace, you go right ahead. 
And there comes a point in our Christian life at times that we've got to muster up the boldness that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to face the difficult times we do. You've just got to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what happens. I'm not quitting. I'm not turning back. I won't give up. I think about the story of a king who had a kingdom and he had no children. So he decided he was going to adopt a son so he could leave his kingdom to someone. He scours the kingdom. Finally, one day he's riding along in his carriage with his royal proceedings and he sees this little boy playing on the side of the road outside an orphanage. Little Kool-Aid mustache, dirty clothes, tore up clothes, some old broken toys. He gets out of his carriage. He just says, son, are you an orphan? He said, yes, sir. He said, would you like to come to my house and be my son? Yes, sir. He hops in the carriage. They go back to the palace. Now he's a prince. Every morning he would come down to breakfast. His butler, his manservant noticed. It's hard to keep pants up on a phone, you know what I'm His manservant would notice that he'd been crying. So I asked him one day, he said, Master, are you unhappy here? He said, oh, no, I'm happy. He said, well, I noticed that every morning you come down, you're crying. He said, you'll just have to. He said, in the morning when you wake me up, just leave the door cracked and you watch. I think you'll understand. I can't really explain. So the next day, wakes him up. Little boy gets up. He goes over to his dresser, pulls it open. Takes out those clothes that he was wearing when the king found him. He puts those clothes on, stands in front of the mirror, and he looks at him, takes them off, puts them back in the drawer, shuts it, comes down to breakfast. The butler asked him, he says, Sir, I, I don't understand. Why do you go through this ritual every day? He said, Because I just want to remember what the king has done for me. If you can't muster up some boldness to face adversity, when you think about everything that God's done for you, you need to get in front of that mirror and remember what the King has done for you. John Corbley, the man that's family was massacred at the beginning of the sermon, he walked away from the graves of his wife and three children, and he founded 30 Baptist churches that there's a good chance that Temple Baptist Church is here today because of the ministry of John Corbley. There's a good chance that the Baptist churches that exist in America today are a direct result of the work that he did after his family was massacred. We face great adversity. There's no question about that. So what do we do? First of all, we've got to change our perspective. We've got to develop a spiritual perspective. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Learn to walk in the Spirit. The third thing is to live the highest practical purpose. Understand that we carry the gospel. The angels don't, we do. And last of all, you've got to muster up some fortitude. Just bow up. When things get difficult, when things get tough, you just got to face it and remember what the King has done for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and for your blessings, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity to preach this morning, Lord, and I thank you for each person who's represented here. And Lord, we ask you this morning to meet with us to help us during this time of invitation, to know exactly how we should deal with you. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to take this sermon and take this story about Peter and what he and John did and apply it to our lives and the adversity that we face and the difficult times that we face. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, how many of you say this morning, man?